Welcome to a new episode of Digital Success Powered by Intelligent Automation Podcast. Today we have Matt Lavoy from Citizens Bank here with us. Welcome, Matt. Uh, Matt is the Vice President and Head of Automation uh, and IBPMS Development at Citizens Financial Group. Uh, Matt and I go back to 2016-2017 when Citizens Bank partnered with Latitude to implement Robotic Process Automation Center of Excellence for their Commercial Lending Division. Uh, as a result of that, by the end of phase one alone, the team had delivered multi-million dollars of savings and upwards of 200 FT worth of effort was saved across divisions. Uh, Matt's team was able to automate dozens of processes in the commercial lending space that included both origination and servicing. So Matt, thank you for being here. Uh, it's always uh, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, if you could introduce yourself first, and then I have a few very interesting questions that I would like to ask you. So, Matt, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think you did a, a pretty good job of introduction. Um, so, I, I lead um, intelligent automation and workflow for Citizens Commercial Banking. Um, and that's really our main charge today. Before, um, we took on a lot of groupism automation and intelligent workflow. Um, I ran a team of business developers who really used uh, Visual Basic and um, some other technologies to deliver efficiency for our business. So we've always been in the business of uh, delivering efficiency, but now, um, you know, given these new technologies, our main charge is really around Blue Prism um, and Bizagi and other intelligent uh, tools. Thank you, Matt. So this is something that has come up frequently in our conversations. Uh, how to get started. Uh, it might seem even overwhelming to a lot of organizations because there are so many technologies out there, uh, so many vendors uh, that, that uh, the organizations are dealing with, uh, many processes in different environments. So can you tell us, our audience, how did you get started and what are the things that worked and what did not? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for that very first delivery, um, you know, it's important to choose the right team and people to deliver for as it is to choose the right opportunity, right? It's finding that opportunity that you can easily demonstrate the value to the frontline colleagues, but also take it up a level to demonstrate the value for your executive sponsors um, so they can see visually and understand that value and benefit. And at the end of the day, um, the frontline person you deliver that value for becomes a cheerleader of the technology. Um, so I think, you know, cho choosing that first one, um, there tends to be a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, so finding where the right people in the right process comes together um, really helps unlock future opportunity. Right. I, I liked how you said you want cheerleaders on your side as you're marching on a big journey here. Uh, I remember uh, a few processes that you presented to us. We ended up choosing one uh, as as a pilot process. What are the key aspects that you look for in choosing a process to automate? And how did you identify that one first pilot process along with us that you started with? Yeah, so there was a couple different aspects of it. Um, number one, I think that first process we chose uh, had a great uh, ROI. So just to give some background, we had about a team of seven different people who would monitor, monitor a centralized mailbox. 
uh, that centralized mailbox would receive work requests um, of about 20,000 a month. So, you know, by automating the email and the triage and some of that work, we could uh, free up those seven people um, from having to monitor that mailbox. Um, we saw it as a common problem across multiple business lines. Uh, we had quite a number of teams who managed work through Outlook. Very risky. Um, but to us, you know, the that opportunity to give value to the people, the number of FTE involved in that process, and the reusability potential of similar automation were the three keys, I think, in choosing that first one. Wonderful. It was quick ROI, repeatability across divisions, um, emails. Uh, There's something that I have uh, seen across organizations. There is always that central email box through which everything is managed. It happens with us too, and it continues to happen across different organizations. This is a great example there. Uh, and a combination of uh, email plus RPA works wonders because you get best of both worlds. So now, how did you end up selecting uh, the RPA technology? And in your case, you ended, ended up with Blue Prism. And what did you do in that regard? Yeah, great question. So we took an approach very similar to... Um, your approach of really focusing on the criteria that we wanted from a tool perspective. Um, for us, it, it really boiled down to our main goal, right? Our number one main goal was to build an internal team that we could self-service and deliver automation. Our main consideration was that we work in a heavily regulated industry. Um, having a good audit trail was very critical. Um, and the third piece is that self-funded aspect, that if we choose the right tool, deploy it the right way, it will deliver an ROI of its cost within that first year or two, um, which we actually achieved before year one. Um, so we you know, broke down uh, the function, functional criteria uh, the tech, technology criteria we wanted to see as far as scalability, reusability. Um, we focused a lot on the vendor, right? We, as far as we wanted to choose a tool where the person who owned that tool was more likely to acquire another tool than be acquired. Um, so we looked at the health of uh, Blue Prism at the time in addition to these other tools. Um, and finally, the cost for us was really the least uh, weighted factor, right? If we chose the right tool and could deploy it the right way, we were confident that that cost would be covered. Amazing. Thank you for pointing that out because benefit that you achieve out of that is so much. And if you do it the right way, cost becomes secondary. I, I liked how you talked about the importance of choosing the right vendor. Uh, it is also interesting that that and it is not very obvious is that when vendor choice impacts in such a big way uh, and and the roadmap that the vendor has and and how it aligns with your goals is so very important uh, it helps us to know if they're building the right products and uh, it, 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 just to be sold or they're creating that long-term value for you as well as your end uh, end customers uh, another aspect that you touched upon is reusability. And what I've seen in your case, Matt, is that although the initial efforts were a little bit more, but once the reusability kicked in, the automations that were delivered later were much faster right? because you had those reusable components uh, with you. 
so people tend to overlook re reusability quite often. So my, my question around center of excellence is going to be, what was the size of your team when you got started? Where are you right now and how did you scale up? Yeah, great question. So when we began our journey, um, we had a team of four people. Um, you know, myself as really the manager of the folks um, and three focused developers uh, with the intention of them being solely focused to Blue Prism. Um, so when, you know, we worked with Latitude, um, in the beginning, very first thing we deployed, Latitude took the lead, developed it as primary, um, and we trained up the team uh, to get certified in Blue Prism. Um, so as time went on for our second deployment, um, we shared that deployment with Latitude. And for the third deployment, we really took the lead um, and had Latitude for support. Um, and then since then, uh, we have grown to 11 developers. Wow. Um, and I can, yeah, and I've got a couple open requisitions. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> some some growth there, but really growth through value, right? I fund my additional uh, team members through our outstanding delivery. This is exactly what I pointed. I wanted to point out that if at the initial stages you are able to show value, it can go on to fund your entire center of excellence, and that is exactly what happened with you. Now let's uh, let's take a uh, talk a little bit about uh, process assessment. Uh, taking citizens as an example, you followed a very steady approach by not trying to boil the entire ocean at once, but started off with, uh, with a set of three to five processes, delivered value, and then in the later stage, you went for a deep down process assessment across the entire division to create that roadmap. What was that experience like to, to start off small and then go big? Did, did you think that was the right approach and how did it work, work, work out in your favor? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's always a multi-pronged approach. Um, you know, looking back, I think we focused uh, quite a bit, rightfully so, on educating the workforce, not only around what is a good fit-for-purpose process for automation, but what is our ethos and ethics around RPA? How is what we're building going to impact uh, potentially what they do from day to day? What is their role. So, you know, for us, it was about canvassing the groups and educating them uh, to help them pull forward some automation ideas. And at the same time, having us, uh, you know, sit with teams, audit teams, observe and advise on what we saw as good opportunities for RPA. Um, and I think, you know, I think picking the right people, the right team and the right process really you know, starts to roll the snowball down the hill. Um, you know, us telling people the value just pales in comparison of the, to the power of their peers telling them how their day has improved by using RPA. So, you know, we always try to create that groundswell by delivering value for the people and, and helping them help us uh, get new opportunity. Um, but I think it takes adaptability and flexibility um, to be proactive and reactive to opportunities. Um, truly listening to people, understanding their frustration and problems, and you know taking in uh, 
some of those challenge points holistically and looking at them and finding the right fit for RPI. At what time did you feel the necessity to add the workflow component to your intelligent automation ecosystem? Can you, can you highlight some timeframes and the reasons why uh, this, beca- this became important and maybe necessary for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think through our proactive and reactive canvassing of the groups for opportunity, there were quite a few things that we saw as great RPA opportunities that had some real data challenges. So, you know, as these pipelines grew and we delivered, um, some of those opportunities that weren't right for RPA for those reasons were put to the side. Um, once we kind of saw over a year or two years how many of those opportunities we could deliver with RPA if we had good data integrity, it was the natural progression to say, how do we create something in their process that ensures good data? Because if we can do that, we unlock that RPA capability. Um, so I think it was a natural progression that we had a lot of stuff in that bucket that says, man, everything about this is the right thing to automate, but we've got some real challenges with uh, either process or flow or data integrity. Right. Uh, there's, there's that thought process in your mind to bring humans into the loop because the combination, not robots cannot do everything. And you will definitely be faced with uh, decisions that humans have to make or exceptions that humans have to handle uh, eventually, the intention is to see how to, to see a large portion of this work being automated, but you have to go through that journey of uh, using using all three that is systems, processes, and people together. So this may be related to the data integrity challenge that you talked about also, and also related to decision making that robot needs human support to accomplish. Uh, what was that one criteria for you? It was absolutely, and I think you know coming from the financial industry there's a lot of rules around you know payment systems payments and having the right level of dual approval so the more that we look to automate things end to end the more critical it became to put a human in the loop in the beginning to ensure that as early as possible we had those right levels of validation and it could flow straight through after that um, so yeah that human in the loop is a good a good piece of it because there's a lot of processes where um, exceptions come out of RPA by design Um, and getting Mm -hmm. those exceptions into a workflow tool can help you uh, with human assistance automate the remainder of what you can't through RPA. So you're creating an end-to-end process automation where your people and digital workers are part of an orchestration provided by the workflow uh, and, and that brings the data integrity, visibility, and reporting capabilities. Um, now, now, can you tell me what was the highest and lowest value process that you have automated? Sometimes people come and ask us, should we even get started with the lowest value, which which may not meet the need? So just want to get a range of where you are and how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I love this question. So uh, I love this question because something like highest value process and high, uh, lowest value process is very subjective. Um, and it brings us a, a little bit on our federated model um, and center of excellence. Um, so in my organization, um, I run the center of excellence for commercial, right? This enables me to prioritize and deliver selfishly for my business 
in a way that I can do something low value from an FTE standpoint that is incredibly valuable from a risk or regulatory standpoint. Um, so in turn, uh, you know, so in, I'm going to answer this question in terms of FTE, um, cause I think traditionally that's what people see as that value, um, for highest value, um, during this COVID-19 SBA program, uh, we had automations in production, uh, average time of development two to three days because wow. of that reusability and scalability that we've seen. Uh, we achieved 180 FTE of additional benefit through that program. When you take into account the speed at which we executed those volumes, it, it, it would take more people um, than you could even train, I think, to achieve those results. Um, as far as lowest value, um, so that was, you know, Traditionally, we look for two FTE plus for a good needy opportunity. Um, that's an outlier, certainly, with the SBA due to the volumes and time. As far as the lowest value process, um, we have automated some of our really critical payment processes that take people five minutes a day. Um, the amount of risk that we've removed from that process through that automation is unquantifiable. Um, you know, so we really operate in a way to do the right things for our colleagues and our customers. And the true value to us isn't in that dollars and cents. And it's really about um, improving our colleagues' day, making them uh, more efficient and be able to focus on things that have real value to it. Um, so we have, you know, some, some processes that deliver outstanding value from a keystroke standpoint or a person standpoint and some that deliver almost no value. Are the savings that you have highlighted totally support what we have been talking about? I have so many more questions to ask you, but in, in the interest of time, we will wind up the podcast here. It was great having you here, uh, you here, Matt, and thank you for your participation. And look forward to another interesting conversation with you very, very soon. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Digital Success Powered by Intelligent Automation Podcast. We have many interesting events lined up for you uh, so that you can get started on your automation journey. To know more, subscribe to our events and newsletters on our website, www l-a-t-e-e-t-u-d.com that is www.latitude.com until next time bye